Let's, uh, let's turn together to Luke chapter 9, kind of bring to a close uh, kind of a series, I guess, of sermons that weren't really intended to be a series. Um, we've been talking about focus and being single-minded, being distracted, being anxious and worried because we're distracted, uh, choosing the good portion, the things that are in our minds and just the ways that we are, the things that we're growing, are growing up around us and how community functions and helping us worry less and be distracted less and helps us zero in on who Jesus is. And so Tonight we'll kind of bring that to a close. When I was younger, uh, probably like a lot of you, you know, people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, I would... Of course, like everybody, you know, it changed a lot. But two of the ones that I remember, one was uh, I wanted to move to Hawaii and become a helicopter pilot who gave tours of the beautiful island. This is because uh, on Magnum PI, uh, some of you have no idea uh, what that is, but it was an old TV show. And Tom Selleck was this private investigator, and he was awesome. But I didn't want to be Magnum PI. I wanted to be his friend. TC, right? And he owned a uh, helicopter charter deal, and he would give tours of the island, and he would help solve mysteries. And I was like, that would be, that'd be awesome. What a great job. Uh, another one that I remember, and this is when I was a little bit older, uh, not too much older, though. Uh, growing up in a household of musicians, it really just bothered me when you would watch, like, Saved by the Bell, and the Zack Attack would be playing a gig, and they were so bad at faking playing their musical instruments, you know? I mean, like, when, like, Screech is wearing, like, a chicken costume, and he's, like, playing the keyboard like this, and he says, cock-a-doodle, dudes. Remember that? And Lisa Turtle would play the bass with these, like, long fingernails, just kind of, that was how she played the bass, and it bothered me so much, so I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Hollywood, and I'm going to become a, like, how-to-fake-playing-a-musical-instrument coach for actors, because it was desperately needed at the time. And I was like, I'm going to make a fortune. Just being like, just don't play it that way. Uh, professional actor, you know. Um, those were just some of the random things that I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, and, you know, there's just some, some things about that. You know, it's just a part of our culture is you, from a young age, you start thinking down the road, what do you, what do you think the rest of your life is going to look like? Um, and then you kind of make up your mind, and you start making some plans, like headed in that direction, you know. And uh, That being such a natural part of things, I don't think it's a bad deal, but I think sometimes maybe it creates some problems that we aren't sure are there, you know. And when, uh, when you are prepping a sermon, and you do it week after week after week, there's some weeks when you're like, man, people are going to dig this. Like, this is going to be, they're going to be, they're going to really like tonight. And other nights where you're like, they're going to hate this so much. And uh, I'm not going to tell you which one it is for tonight. Um, we'll, just, we'll let you choose your own adventure in that. Um, but I promise those random stories will come back around. Let's look in chapter 9. Starting at, look at the end of the chapter. Starting at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, okay, him would be Jesus, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. One of the most difficult passages in all of the, uh, the Gospels. Uh, and what's, what a set of weird answers. You know? Like, I'll follow you where you go. And he's like, foxes have a home, birds have a home, I don't have a home. And the guy's like... <laughs> what do you do with that, you know? We all have that friend who doesn't answer your questions directly. You know, they flip it on you. He flips it on the guy. There's three different cases where people are like, Jesus, you're awesome, let's do this. And he's like, are you sure about that? And so I, th- I think this is where God wants us to spend a little bit of time tonight. We'll look at these three examples. You look at the first one. God just comes up to Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now in Jesus' response in 58... Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. And I believe that in a devotional sense, like uh, I believe that, that God can teach us all kinds of stuff from, from that response about humility and materialism and security. And there's just a number of things. But there's, like a, there's a primary teaching that's going on. And that's, those things are secondary teachings. Um, so he's not really driving toward a, living a humble and simple life, although that is part of it. Uh, he's also not being contradicting to what we looked at a couple weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, look at the birds, man, God feeds the birds. And like, yeah, but didn't he just say that a bird has it better off than him? Well, no, that's not, that's not what he's saying either. What he's doing is he's... He's resetting this guy's expectations about what discipleship really means. So when this guy says, I'll follow you wherever you go, he is saying, and we talk about this a good bit at, at the ring, he's, he's enter, trying to enter into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, which means I'm going to literally follow you around and listen to everything that you say and watch everything that you do, and I'm going to imitate you because I want to be, become exactly like you. He's saying, anywhere you go, I'm, I'm with you. I'm your shadow. I'm there. And Jesus kind of looks back at him and gives this kind of roundabout answer that, that really sort of stings in, in the, the hearing of a Jewish community. There are two major ways where the like, Jewish folks would find their identity. One was in being Jewish at all. That was Huge to them. The second would be uh, in their family, you know, in their in their family line. So and so, you know, like they would you would have their name and like where they were from, or say of the house of so and so, 
what's your lineage? But also, it was, it was it's like how you lived. And so there would, would be a, a house that would be like your father's house that had been, which is really just a room that had been built onto his father's house. And then when it came time for you, if God were to have you marry someone, you would build an extension onto that house, and that would become your house. And then if you had sons, because your daughters would obviously go somewhere else, but if your sons grew up, and if they were to get married, they would build a house onto that house. And so you lived, you just lived with your family, like, all the, all the time. That's how these communities were formed. And when you go to Israel now, and you go to you go to some of these places where you know some of these cities were, and there's these these groups of little square like houses, little rooms, all in like a, a square, and that was like just family, 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 family all all around, and just clusters of these families, like family land everywhere, like the Waltons or something, and it's it's all over the place. That's how they lived. And so, for you to have a place to lay your head. That was, I mean, that was, that was what you were going for. That was the goal, was to, to grow up and have your own place to lay your head as a part, like, at the family deal. If you were a Jewish male, then that's, well, that was the goal. That's how it worked, and that's how you found your identity, and that's how you knew that you had, that was success in their eyes. And so in, in Jesus' response, when he says, Animals have places to stay. I don't have a place to stay. He's really saying, you realize that I don't have a little room off my father's house because I have married and left the family, right? Like you, you get that, right? Like you get one of the, the core like, places where you find your identity that's not the case with me. And you're saying you want to be just like me. So you're saying that in the system that this world has put together, that in the, in the pattern of the world when it comes to what you want to be when you grow up, I don't fit that. And you're saying you want to be just like me. Are you sure about that? Because that means not having that family connection. It means not being real sure where you're going to stay. Or it means very, being very dependent on the hospitality of other people. Are you sure you want to come after me? When you boil that down, he's basically saying, you know that it's going to cost you something to follow me, like to come after me, to be just like me. You're going to have to let go of the plan that you have for your life. Not that it's an evil plan, but you've got to let go of that expectation that you have, that this is what I'm going to be. You know? That sense of entitlement that you have, you've got to let go of that. If you really want to come after me and be my disciple. And so I think we take that and you kind of let that marinate just for a second. You're like, okay, what does that mean for us? It means the same thing. It means that coming after Jesus is going to involve us letting go of our agenda, our plan for our life and what it needs to look like. Which is weird because we grow up being asked that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? So you sure that's what you want to be? Well, then you better pick a major. You better, you better go to work in that industry. You need to go to trade school. You need to be apprenticed somehow. You've got to start doing that. You start going in that direction. 
And whether we admit it or not, we all have this great American dream that we kind of grow up with, and you kind of just figure, if you ask an 18-year-old what you think your life's going to look like, I've talked about this before, you ask them what their life's going to look like, and they're going to tell you a certain number of things. And what Jesus is saying, if you really want to come after me, you've you got to let go of that. Not saying that it won't happen, but you have to be open to it. So Jesus is not telling this guy, and he's not telling us, uh, you need to take a vow of poverty if you want to be just like me. That's what it sounds like he's saying, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying everybody that comes after me has to take this vow of poverty in order to be like me. But what he is saying is, everybody that comes after me has to be open to it if that's God's will for your life. You've got to be open to the vow of poverty. You've got to be open to a career path that's different. You've got to be open to personal life, family life, social life, where you live, how you live, how you spend, how you this, that, and the other. You've got to let go of that if you want to come after me. So I'm not ruling it out, but... But that's, that's a part of the discipleship that happens. Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you into the kind of person that's totally okay with not having that, that family connection, with not having all those dreams come true as the pattern of the world has told you this is what success looks like. I'm, that's what discipleship is. I'm going to make you the kind of person that's totally on board with that. Are you on board with being totally on board with that? In other words, foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man has no place to lay his head. Now that's, a, that's, a brutal, that's a brutal word for a lot of us. And we don't know what the guy, we don't know the result of this. Um, the, next, the next example, or the next instance, says to another, is verse 50. To another, he said, follow me. And the guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, this, would, this was almost like heretical in this day. Because your obligations to your family, like I was just saying, like, like as a son, you had certain responsibilities and certain expectations that were on you. And a part of that was when your father passed away, then there were certain things that you were supposed to do, not only making sure that the body was, was prepared and buried properly, but then a year later you'd have to do this stuff, and it's not, not worth getting into. But there were just certain things that, that that's what it came with, that when you look up and you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? What does a successful life look like? That's a part of it for a Jewish male would be, I want to honor my father by making sure that his burial is proper and everything goes the way it should be. That's... That's me being a good son. And so this guy says, I'll, like, I'll follow you, but first I need to, like, this is my obligation as a son. This is what it means for me to do this. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own. You go preach the kingdom. Now again, like, what a jerk, right? I mean... The guy wasn't saying, he didn't have some like ridiculous request. What a great, 
Like, what a great thing. Like, there's so many sons out there who are just jerks to their father. And here's this kid who's like doing the honorable, good thing. And Jesus is like, nope. What is it? So what's he getting at? Well, there's a number of things he's getting at. One of the biggest one is that there can't be a relational connection that takes precedence over your following after me. There's, that, that can't exist. You know, he, says it, he says it in, in Matthew 10, Luke 9, Luke 14. It's all the same stuff. He says, look, if, you're more, if you love your mother, father, children, siblings, your own life more than me, you're missing it. It's not what the kingdom is about. It's not what being my disciple is about. He's putting into perspective for this guy. Like, look, there's... Well, that's a great thing. I, I am greater than that. Following after me, preaching the word of the kingdom, that is more important than your obligations to your family. There can be no relational connection that comes ahead of me. I know that sounds really weird to us, you know, especially, especially when, with the emphasis on family and love and friendship and ministry and compassion and all these things for one another that we have. It's a tough word to say, yeah, Jesus is, is greater than that, you know. I know that the parents in the room cringe every time I talk about, like, Parents loving their kids more than they love their spouse and loving their spouse more than they love the Lord. And maybe it's just easy to pick on because I'm not a parent or a spouse. But that connection has to be there. And that's one of the weird things is that this guy is looking at his obligation to his father and honoring his father and saying, I need to take care of this burial issue. But what Jesus is saying... but. Is really, what I offer you is greater than that. If you really want to honor Him, then come after me and preach the kingdom and let the burial stuff, that's not important. If you really want to honor your father, preach the kingdom. You know? And so to a husband and wife, if you really want to love your spouse properly, you'll love Jesus more than you love them. If you really want to care for your kids, and you'll make sure, I've said this before, you make sure that they know where they rank in the house. But our friendships and the community we're a part of, that we always know that Jesus is greater and more important. And from that supremacy comes proper love and proper care and proper community. Everything falls into place just right when that's, that's the case. And when you get things out of whack, that's when, that's when there's this, this weirdness that comes. And we'll get to that in just a second about why that's weird. And so, what Jesus is saying is, boil it all down, I'm going to make you into the kind of person that understands that preaching the word of the kingdom and following me is of more importance than the traditional obligations to your family. That that's what real honor looks like. I'm going to make you into that kind of person, so you need to be completely on board with that. You'd be on board with things looking different than you thought that they were going to look because I'm in control of things. I'm going to make you into that kind of person. 
Last encounter he has, 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Which is, you know, I mean, a hospitality-driven culture. you got people at your house. You want to do, I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? And Jesus comes back with this zinger. Said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up working a plow. I don't know. I didn't. But I've seen it in movies. And my creative genius allows me to kind of understand what he's getting at here. And I'm sure if you're plowing a field... And it's, there's a row, and you've got to go right next to that next row. I can't even keep the lawnmower in line when I'm cutting my yard, much less having to work with like an ox, you know. Um, and so I would imagine that when you're, you're plowing that field and you're trying to get everything just right, that if the whole time you're looking around, you're not telling the ox where to go, and things are getting all weird, your boss comes out, and he's like, you're out of here. You're not a good fit for this. Like, oh, wait, that's what Jesus just said. If you put your hand in the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. That that single focus of life that keeps us from veering and being distracted and keeps us you know, more like Martha than Mary, like we talked about, and it distracts us like the, in the parable of the sower and things grow up beside us and we're all bewildered by them. All the things we've been talking about, he's saying, look, a single-minded person, that's fit for the kingdom of God. I'm going to make you into a single-minded person. Are you on board with that? We were talking about this at the elder meeting the other night. and uh, Just kind of looking at this passage, and I was like, guys, I, don't, I know this is where we're supposed to go, but this is a, this is a tough word, I th- and whatever, and we were kind of talking through it, and... Uh, of course, Taylor would find a way to make a sunkiss bottle illustrate a point. Uh, and he takes this sunkiss bottle and he has like a you know a screw on cap on it or whatever. And he says, so if you look at the verse, it said, uh, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God." He takes that bottle and unscrews it at the top of me and he says, "This cap is a fit for this bottle. You know, it's got the grooves cut in it where it's it's a fit." And so Jesus is saying. If you're, if you're being double-minded like that, you're not, you're not a fit for the kingdom. But he's not saying, like, get out of here. He's, it's almost like he's saying, uh, so I'm going to make you fit. I'm going to refine your life. I'm going to take you from being someone who's distracted, make you into someone who never takes his eyes off. Jesus makes us fit. Jesus makes us okay with whatever He makes our life into. He makes us okay with our spouse and our kids and our jobs and our church and our our friendships and all this. He makes us okay with those things all playing secondary roles to Him being the supreme love and joy of our lives. He makes us perfectly okay with although there's all kinds of distractions around us, being will be like, no, I'm going to be single-minded and let everything fall into place. He makes us fit. We just got to be moldable, right? And that's that's it. We have to be 
impressionable when it comes to Jesus. So when he says, I'm going to make you into this kind of person, and we've got to be like, all right, I'm, I'm on board. That's, that's awesome. And I think for some, not for everybody, but I think for some, this may be the source of anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and so much. And just, just hear me out, okay? If we are unwilling to surrender our lives, if we are resistant to that mold, molding and being made to fit the kingdom, if, if we just like rear up against that and fight him, we're going to be incredibly worried and scared and doubtful and all those things that we wish would change because what we're doing is we're essentially saying, I refuse to let go of my life, of my entitlement, my agenda, my dreams, my plan for my life. I refuse to let go of it. I will not surrender any of this stuff. You have to work around it. And when we are that controlling about our own lives, Jesus, I mean, he doesn't abandon us. I mean, he's near, but he's like, look, if you want to flip out about that, I'll let you see the emptiness of that idol. I'll let you see how sad and joyless and empty all that stuff is. Because that's not how I put you together. See, it's almost like Jesus is, is, is coming to us in these moments and saying, okay, when, when this exchange of life happened, when you, when you saw my goodness and my invitation to you to, to remove your life, and to replace it with my life, when that happened, you, know, you gave up all that. Your life's not your own anymore. And so now your life is actually my life. So I have all these lives everywhere. And I am leading each one of these lives in a Psalm 23, good and faithful shepherd kind of way, full of grace, full of truth, leading all these lives. He's made all these exchanges. And if you look at Psalm 23, it starts off really, really good, you know. I won't want for anything, green pastures, still waters, path of righteousness for his namesake, and then valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes in that leadership, he's like, all right, I'm going to lead you through something difficult. That plan you had for your life, that agenda, that, that everything that you had laid out in front of you, the thing you've been controlling, I'm going to mess with that. And you're not going to... You, aren't going to like it, and you're going to resist me, and you're going to become sad, and you're going to become depressed, and you're going to live in fear and anxiety and worry, and you're going to become very distracted by it, and then, and then you're going to go to community group for like three straight years and be like, this is my deal, this is my deal, this is my deal, and nobody's going to know what to tell you because I've already told you what needs to happen. And then one day, I'm just going to break you. And you're going to hate it, but you're going to love it. Because you're going to realize this one, this one magnificent truth. And here it is. 
that the one who you have surrendered your life to has more joy and more glory and more goodness and more love and more grace and more of everything that you want in his heart for your life than you do in your own life. That as, as great as you can envision your life, he will blow that out of the water. Saying, but what has to happen is you're being all like guarded and controlling about this one area of your life, and so I've, I've got to break you of that, and I'm going to, and it's going to be awesome. And when you stop controlling it, and you take your hands off of that, and you open up, and you're like, not my will, but yours, be done. When you let me make you into that kind of person, that kind of fit for the kingdom, then it's like, okay, let's do some healing from what that idol has, some of the the wounds that are there. Let's move through some of this stuff. Let me bring some people into your life that can kind of help. And so I think, I think that's, for some, at the root of like, why some of us are so sad. Is this unwillingness to sacrifice anything. And this rebellion against surrender in any form that goes against this plan that we think we have for our lives. If you had asked me when I was younger if... Uh, if you know, what I wanted to be, at no point in that whole deal would I have ever said a pastor. Ever. I like church. I like pastors. There's no reason for it. I just, I remember thinking, how do they come up with that stuff every week? And that just seemed like too much work. And I don't have regrets for that at all. Like, I don't ever... Look around and be like, I really wish I'd done this instead or whatever. But I think what happened in my life is that at some point the helicopter pilot thing that was like put on the shelf and, you know, the Hollywood deal, coaching, faking, playing musical instruments, the title was too long. It just wasn't really going <laughs> to take off. And there's just a number of things that what God did with me is... Little by little, made me more and more moldable, more and more of a fit. And finally, like I just sunk into that groove that he was making me for with his will. And, you know, whatever, here I am. But, you know, I've been, been very honest, you know, and open with you guys about the if you had asked me then if I thought that I would be my age and not married, I was like, oh, absolutely not. You know? That that was like a part of what was crafted in my mind. Like that's what a successful grown-up would look like. I'd be like part of it, you know. And, uh, and there are certainly like plenty of time where that is a, that's like one of those things for me where I get whatever, just get weird about it. Um, and sometimes it's kind of depressed about it, and sometimes it's, Doubtful, and sometimes it's angry, you know, and just kind of just morphs all this weirdness or whatever. And, but then there are times when it's like really, really on board. And, and here's, the, here's the difference that I've learned is like you take a passage like this, when I apply this stuff that Jesus says, and I take that and I lay my life on top of it, and I say, okay, in the, in the times when I am uptight about it, 
and I'm just being weird. I lay my life over these truths, and I'm like, okay, this, this is not fitting. And so I can either pout about it, or I can say, okay, Lord, right, this is not a fit right now. What's true here? And all of the things that we talk about on Sundays, and in community group, and all, the, all that stuff that comes from the Bible, and all these things that are true, He just kind of just whittles away at my perspective, and what I'm holding on to, and it goes from me like, like being almost like hoarding this thing, you know, just being very controlling or whatever, and he just like peels my arms back when he helps me realize how good he is, and that he's the one that's in control of my life. And when I keep that in mind, other things fall into place. It's when I lose sight of how good my Savior is, how good my Shepherd is, how much He wants my life to flourish and bear fruit. And when I lose sight of everything I know to be true, I get very controlling. And that control leads to all kinds of darkness. But when I start to fit, you know what, you know what comes into perspective is the fact that my life is not mine and... There's some things that I'll sacrifice in life. When I'm holding on to the American dream, sacrifice feels like, the, like you're giving something up, like you're being robbed of something you're in, entitled to. That's what the pattern of the world tells us. The kingdom of God, we realize that what we're giving up in a worldly sense, we're gaining Jesus. And when we gain Jesus, the loss is so minimized. Like Whatever, do whatever you want with my life. If I'm gaining Christ, if the call to discipleship is the call to come and die, then the call really is for us to come and to die. And it's not saying, hey, look, if you follow Jesus, he's going to mess with your whole life. Uh, in a sense that you're going to have to give up all this stuff. No, the things you're going to give up are in exchange for him. And so we die to ourselves, but we live to Christ, and that is the difference maker. Now, we just have to get to where we, we work through those times when we're so controlling and when we're, we're down and we're fearful and we're whatever. We're like, yeah, but what about this about my life? What about this about my life? And what about this about my life? It's like, well, what about it? Are you, are you open to God doing whatever He wants with your life because your life is not your life, it's actually His life? Are you open to Him having your family dynamic look different than you planned for it to look? Are you open to Him career-wise taking you in a different direction? Are you, are you open to those things? Are you living with a this idea of like, well, this is, he's got me here now, but this may change and I'm open to whatever he has for me. Well, I hope, so, I hope you are, but if you're not, that's the kind of person he's making you into. He's making you into the kind of person that's like, well, you know, we're getting all this pressure to have kids, but we're just going to wait for the Lord, you know. We have all this pressure to make our family look this way. We're, we're going to wait on the Lord. Got all this 
this uh, pressure about, you know, from whatever to like spend my money a certain way, but we're just going we're, we're gonna to do this. My plan was to, was to live at this certain, you know, level, but uh, God's calling us to live below that, so we're looking at downsizing some things. And God's blessed us with this, but we haven't been good stewards of it, you know, so we're going we're gonna to be a better steward of our home because, you know, whatever. God led me, you know, he's led me to like major in this at college, but now I'm going to take this job that's a completely different industry. My parents are bugging out about it, but my loyalty is to Jesus, you know. I can just keep rattling off all these examples, but are we living surrendered lives or are we not living surrendered lives? And I think there's a, there's a, there are two words that have been really good, I think, for me. This is the idea of being like prayerfully obedient. You know, that we're that we're really praying about things and then when God starts to move that we're like, Okay, I'm 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 there. And we're prayerful and then we follow him because he's better than you. He's better than your plans for you. And the the American dream didn't free you from sin for all eternity. And your spouse, your kids, your bank account, your house, your car, your job, your whatever. None of that stuff even compares to Christ. I think he's trying to reset the expectations of these followers and say, hey, you just need to know the kind of people I'm going to make you into. And you can resist me if you want to, but I'm ready to mold you to being a fit for the kingdom. And so we just got to surrender to this process, just that simply. So let's pray together. Lord, um, you know that we don't really want to let go of things. We kind of want both. You know, we want to be the, the folks who have we have set their hand to the plow, but also we're looking back. We're looking around at other things. Because we're such control freaks, God, that we feel, like, we feel like we can have both. And you, you told us in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't love God and money. Like, you can't be devoted to two things. You're going to be devoted to one. And so, Lord, we just need your help because we can't, we prayed in the beginning, we, we can't even muster up surrender on our own. Like, we need your help in surrendering our will to yours. And so, God, for those who are here who have been just clinging very tightly to their plans, their agenda, their money, their marriage, their kids their friends, their dreams for their lives. God, I pray that you would break us of that idolatry. But God, that you would do it in, in just such a, that sweet way that you do where you just help us to look at the goodness of who you are. And in seeing your goodness, 
that we would just naturally let go of those things. That we would love you above all others and then let everything fall naturally into place. And so, Lord, help us to surrender, especially the good things in life. To live in such a way where we understand that this is not, these things are not our Savior. And that we would see surrender as, not as us having to sacrifice something in a negative sense, but as us laying something on the altar and saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with this, it's yours. May all this just flow from us seeing who you really are. Let's just spend a few minutes praying and we'll sing together and respond.